Hey y'all, welcome to the Garland Pepper Presents Podcast. Every action generates a force of energy that returns to us in like kind. What we sow is what we reap. And when we choose actions that bring happiness and success to others, the fruit of our karma is happiness and success. How's your karma? How's everybody doing? How's your karma? Uh, you know, that's just a balance sheet of life, and it just kind of works that way. Well, I'm real excited to be back at it. I took a little bit of a vacation. I did a year of shows, uh, sometimes four weeks, most of the time about two a week. Uh, yeah, I was very, very busy, and I got burned out, and I decided to take a vacation. I did a one-week vacation last week. was the last, was the only week that I have not done a show in a year. So I had a little vacation, uh, did a little rest, did a few little projects with some other people, kind of got my head out of the game. Now I'm back in the game. Uh, This show, this week, we've got uh, coming up William Robson. William Robson is an assistant director. He's out of Vancouver. Um, I was interested in talking to this man because he has the highest qualities of curiosity and empathy things I really, really like in people. And I discovered him on the Clubhouse app. And if you're not on Clubhouse, uh, hit me up. I can help you out with that maybe if I still have some invites. Um, Also, um, we've got some other things coming up. Dr. Andrea will be coming back this year. uh, She'll be a doctor now. Uh, She was a PhD candidate last year. She is a doctor now. So she will be back. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, where she's at in her process now that she's an MD. And that is going to be studying Alzheimer's. Um, We have some shows coming up where we'll be talking about, uh, well, Brent. Brett, 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 that smart. You know, Brett, Brett's going to be on the show. Uh, I've got a a fun musician uh, coming in. Uh, Nice woman musician. Sarah Parsons saw her some years ago at uh, the Infinity Room. Uh, very impressed. Uh, musician. Uh, let's see what else do we got going on. Oh, there's just going to be a whole lot more going on. Uh, the web page is coming along. It is absolutely beautiful. Uh, looks like we're going to be using Donna Matson's picture as the top picture for the page uh her picture of silverton uh kind of a watery night looking picture very beautiful i love this picture i've always loved it and the irony is is my web designer found it uh he was out looking around he goes for silverton stuff and he found this picture and he's like we should use this picture we should give the artist credit now like i used to work for the artist donna used to be my boss uh, uh her and kim are great people anyway um, so keep on listening to Garland Pepper. Uh, keep on sharing. Pretty soon, when the website's open, I'm going to be directing everybody to go there uh, to subscribe to the show. Uh, we will also be building a store. So this store is going to be really cool. So all of the people on my show who have a product or service, please, please email me and text me your email numbers, uh, email information, and all of your links. So the first part of the store will be a link to any product or service you have. So if you have a product or service, we will link it on that show. Now I have some friends who uh, don't have their own page. And after we get the link store going, uh, we will actually start putting in some spaces where 
um, people can maybe put in uh, some of their products or, or, or things like that. Um, but that is still in play. Uh, da, 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 da. Yes. So uh, thank you all. Have a great day. Listen up. We've got William Robson on the show. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Oh, love yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Garland Pepper Presents podcast. Today, my guest is William Robson. William Robson is a assistant director in Vancouver, British Columbia. We met uh, through the Clubhouse app, and I was very impressed with his curiosity. I would have to say it's curiosity because he really asks good questions. He asks questions that seem to be empathetic of the people presenting, um, and also, another thing about William that I noticed is he doesn't shy away from challenging topics or expanding his mind into realms of discovery. And uh, that's why I was intrigued by you. And that's why I brought you onto the show. That is a wonderful introduction. Uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, I appreciate uh, that perspective. Well, thank you for uh, agreeing to be on the show. Mm -hmm. So William, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, let everybody know who you are. <laughs> it's uh, well, that's always the big question, right? Who are you? Who are you? Who am I? Um, I am 34 years old, um, so I still have plenty to go on on my journey of, of becoming a professional in the film industry. Uh, currently, I'm an assistant director um, of which in Canada, it's uh, the level is about being a third and a second assistant director. Uh, the first assistant director, director is the general, so I support the general of the film set basically in helping to coordinate, plan, and execute um, how it is we're going to try to make our day. So it's a lot of logistics, a lot of schedule, uh, scheduling and planning and, and all that and coordinating a lot of different personality uh, within the film industry unit um, from the cast to uh, the different departments. Um, and so that's, that's where I am now professionally uh, with my goal of, of going into producing, um, which is where a lot of my curiosity comes from uh, that you might've noticed because uh, I, it's uh, somebody that wants to be a producer. I, I do study a lot on um, just everything I can about storytelling, about uh, like just society, emotions, the problems that make life, the battle between hope and hopelessness. And if you want to have any of those basis and understanding, well, then you better be a curious person because there's a whole history for thousands of years that people have been exploring this in different cultures around the world. And, um, you know, the more that you understand of, of their stories, the more that you can empower the metaphors or the archetypes. And, um, and at the same time, the, I think the most wonderful thing about it for me has been the more that I study these things, the better human that I become because I, I gain a better vocabulary of understanding uh, for myself or, you know, getting to, to try to empathize and, and understand where people are coming from in, in their perspectives. Um, so that's kind of where I am. And it's, it's been quite a journey to get here. Um, you know, it wasn't that I graduated high school and said, I'm going to go be in the, the film industry. And, and then I did. Um, that kind of was my goal, but uh, boy, can can life have an unplanned path uh, <laughs> set forward? Yeah. I, you know, I studied film in in college, and I had never, I've never really done it. I did some video production, mm -hmm. things in that, but I, uh, 
you know, it's it's a really it's it's a tough road to go down and you really have to be committed. And did, did they open your eyes to the idea of framing and all that stuff when you're studying like film history and, and whatnot and kind of looking yeah. behind and framing mise-en-scene, you know, yeah. uh, movement, uh, the action uh, leading the eye, you know. Um, yeah. And, and once you once you what what was funny is I, I would always talk about how I was seeing films with my friends and would drive them freaking nuts. They're like, I just want to see the film. I don't want to see behind the film. And of course, me, mm-hmm. you know, I'm breaking it down. Once you once you get into it, you start breaking it down. Um, I don't do that as much anymore because now I just kind of watch it. Um, yeah, I'm further away, you know, from looking at the world in in, in those in in that perspective. So, I'm I'm so guilty of pausing a movie, <laughs> and 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 possibly even rewinding it to just see the shot that just happened because of how incredible was it? It was like marvelous, Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. has these shots yeah. every 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 episode and um you just you just go wait a minute that the coordination of what just happened needs to be watched one more time yeah. um it's it's i'm not really one on on the mistakes i might laugh at them but or or the other thing that i'll do is i'll i'll stop and and i'll go wait a minute why did the character play that song what is that classical song what is it actually and so i'll have to pause and look it up and, and, you know, use, use my Shazam to try to find the song um, and then realize, oh, actually that song is from this, you know, I was watching Fahrenheit 451 the other day and they play a classical song. It's from the 1950s book. Oh, okay. and um, the movie. it's a fantastic story about uh, firefighters that go around and they're now no longer the good guys. They're going and burning books and right. destroying these books are evil. Mm-hmm. um and so everything that's referenced in the story just has a lot of it's 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 classical knowledge it's it's you know this is history mm-hmm. um especially when it comes to freedom and expression and so the the record that he puts on is is this is this classical artist that that in the start of the the last century in the early 1900s he uh wrote a song that broke rhyme and and it, it broke the structures of music and it basically was like a dance it was going you know it's changing its time signatures and melodies and everything and that was really groundbreaking for the time is to really kind of conceive a musical structure in this way and that's what the movie was about is about breaking like the structure. so it's like the song if if I didn't know that song, it, I would miss that like important kind of layer of, of metaphor or working within the magic of, of film. So that's I'm I'm guilty of pausing as my long who is, answer. Who is, the, uh, who is who is the composer for that? Oh, I'd have to look it up. I, I have it here. I'm so I'm so bad at sometimes of um. Uh, uh, it's uh, no no CNS number one. That's the the Sienna song. Yeah. Number one. Eric Osatie. Satie. Oh, I've never heard of that. So I'm gonna have to look that up. So they they started playing around with time signatures and such and creating dance. And that's kind of what Yeah, and, and that's I think that's basically what uh Nocian means is like a, a music that that dan- that dances or something like it's that's the translation of that word specifically mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, so I'm, I just got to find out, man. I'm curious. <laughs> there was a movement about, I think, around that same period of time of exploring repetitiveness and doing songs that don't, zero repeats. Mm-hmm. And they're really difficult to listen to. Um, 
because for for some reason when we when we talk we don't like it when people repeat but when it comes to music we like to hear the same thing over and i don't understand what that Ooh. is but yeah uh, there is something funny there i mean I, I know like people like coltrane and whatnot would definitely try to bounce around the, the music and always flip it and switch it but then obviously he has his home bases that he comes back to right they always have that little place where they come back to to tell you that you're still in the same place it's still in the same song you know yeah it's yeah music's music's interesting that way now jazz is kind of the opposite of filmmaking in a, in a structural sense in terms of like well i don't know you've got all the professionals they all know what they're doing but they're all playing with it differently so there is that jazz component but it's really an organizational job. There's a lot of organization that goes on. Mm -hmm. What's a day look like when you when you go on set first thing in the morning? You're the guy that's you're you're either running crew or or actors. I would imagine being AD one or yeah. two, depending on which. And you, what do you guys flip a coin? Okay, I got the people because I'm better with them. And the other person's like, I got, I got. That, that's what, yeah, that's what we're doing on our next production, basically. But it, you kind of have to go where, where, where your bosses want you to fill the gap. Right. Um, the boss knows where you're first. Exactly. And and honestly, the, the the day starts. I'm usually one of the first people there in the morning. Um, and uh, our the crew gets there about half an hour before the cast. Um, and that gives them time to set up and have breakfast and, and whatnot. And then, uh, but the, everything should be ready for when the cast land, because it's their, their schedules are timed out specifically to, they got to arrive at this time. When they arrive, they go straight into processing. There's no dawdling because we need that. Like their processing time is scheduled to take exactly how long it takes to get them ready. So it could be an hour and a half. It could be 45 minutes. It could be could be two and a half hours depending on what's needed maybe there's prosthetics maybe there's work that needs to age the actor or put on you know wigs and and whatnot there's just that that so that that kind of however long it takes to get them ready that backs up your day and tells you when you're going to start your day and so in that process of the morning we're just we're working to make sure everybody's yeah arriving on time um identifying if anybody's going to be late because if somebody's really going to be late and they're in that first scene well are we can we shoot the second scene first or do we need them for the first setup or can we just do the setup they show up late there's all the you're i mean they're in a way you're trying to not make it like you're trying to not have a day of jazz but it turns out to be a day of jazz <laughs> right, right so that's why you super super uh, large amount of planning because basically every time you start a movie First off, it's a, it, it, it's, it's a circus. It's, it's basically the same thing as a circus. You're coming in and you're setting up a full industry. But yeah. the disadvantage you have from a circus, circus is all the same people working together every day and they all can like kind of look at each other and actually know what to do. You guys get to get a whole new set of friends and, and, and workmates with every movie. Yeah. How, how does do you is there short codes is there certain things that you guys develop over time so that you can communicate because there's a language difference every time at some level if there is yeah and and in the film industry is one of those things where um something that i've heard spoken several times by by veterans is if you don't fit anywhere else you might just fit in here um, a lot of a lot of uh, very interesting personalities in, in the industry, and a lot of very lovely people. Um, 
And so at the end of the day, I think the language of trust and respect it and, and, and being a person that is not just going to start casting blame is probably the easiest way to build that, that relationship with, with the crew um, in the sense of, you know, so if there's a problem, sometimes if there's a problem, people will just come in hot. Who's, who made that problem? I wanted it like, and it's, <laughs> it's kind of, the industry is really good at throwing buses um, at people. Um, yeah. some people put, you know, fire up the bus themselves, walk out in front of it and take themselves out, um, uh, in glorious fashions. But, um, at the end of the day, it's, I think if, if people feel supported, if people feel like, you know what, no, you forgot that thing. Don't worry about it. We've got 10 minutes. I'm sure you can get it in time. Like, you know, we'll, it's, we'll figure it out. This is what we do. We solve problems. So I think if you keep that mentality, you're not trying to attack people. You're trying to support people. Um, maybe I notice that, that a person needs a little bit more support. So I'll check in with them sooner if I can, you know, and just kind of mm -hmm. just try to avoid getting to places where we're sitting there and the cameras are ready to go. The actor's ready to go. And because we didn't organize somewhere on the crew end, we're now sitting there waiting for something that we didn't have to wait for. If we were just a little bit more coordinated and, and, and aligned with our, what, what we needed to do next. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's uh, that's the thing. One little thing can slow the whole deal down. Yep. I, I was on a boat in the middle of the Georgia Strait uh, here between Vancouver Island and the mainland. And we were about to film a stunt about an hour and a half away from it where somebody's going to jump off the boat into the middle of the strait. Of course, obviously, the water's moving and all this stuff, open water. Uh, we got, we're going to have divers in the water that are going to put lines there and be able to, you know, be there in the water for when she jumps off. Uh, my first assistant director says, can you go check with the divers, make sure they have everything they need. We're an hour and a half, let them know we're an hour and a half away. Great. Let them, let them know that. And uh, one of the divers goes, oh, can you go to the first aid craft services and get the secondary air tank? Yeah, no problem. I've never, I've never done a stunt on a boat. This is one of those things why progress in the film industry, um, it takes time. It is about experience. It is not about how much you think you know. It is about safety at the end of the day, especially within assistant directors. And how many situations have you been put in that is completely different so that you are thinking about safety. Um, and so I really hold this as one of those important lessons for me because I went to the first aid craft services. She didn't have her secondary air tank, which means we can't, legally have anybody jump in the water oh, because shit. the divers will not provide their air to help somebody who needs air as a rule of diving. You need a secondary air tank. Um, and so now we're in the middle of the water and an hour and a half away. Luckily we've got two speed boats. So I, I get on the phone as I'm making my way to the first AD on this big boat and uh, getting a hold of the, the two boats that are out there and say, you start calling by Vancouver, try to find somebody that's got this. You start calling by Squamish, try to find somebody that's got this. Go to the first AD, you know, we don't have an air tank. We're an hour and a half away. I'm going to have the boats on it. They should be able to make it there and back, but we've got to find it within the next 45 minutes. Um, and so we just started coordinating and calling all of the dive shops and nobody was answering their phones for half an hour. They're all diving. <laughs> the boats... The, the boats kind of made their way into different different directions that could cover whoever would answer first. 
from different areas of where we were. Uh -huh. um, and, and sure enough, we did get a hold of somebody and they ran it down to the dock and we had it delivered like 15, 20 minutes before we had to go. We were timed out to do this big stunt. An hour and, and a half if, of major stress. Yeah, and, and if we didn't start doing the protocols of planning an hour and a half, two hours before, we would have been there 20 minutes before with the diver suiting up going, oh yeah, by the way, grab that air tank, it's not here. Oh boy, yeah. Well, we've just spent all this money as a low budget production to do one of the biggest stunts of the movie. Uh -huh. <laughs> we almost couldn't have done it. Right. So that to me is just a huge lesson in, in, in all of that. And just, you know, there's so would, many different places. Uh, would that be on a, that would be a set person's, that would be a, basically on equipment and such like that. What, whose, whose purvey is that to make sure that that list is punched? Yeah, well, that's that's down to exactly. You can go up the chain on that. <laughs> okay. it, it should have been the stunt coordinator checking with the with the first aid craft services. It should have been the first aid craft services that was told to have the certain level of a first aid kit in the planning okay. process. It's on the ADs for not double checking that before we got off the boat. It's on the producer for not like you can go up the chain with a lot of these problems. And that's kind of where the bus issue comes. Yeah. And so some people really good at dodging that bus when they could easily if you're not good at dodging it could could be hit by it by going oh uh yeah, yeah i've got nobody i can pass the buck on to for this problem i didn't know it was my problem nobody told me it was my problem now it's my problem oh yeah it's gonna be your problem now <laughs> well that's a weird thing it comes in this place between props and and tools or yeah so yeah i don't know where that would land yeah well there, there's a whole role with like the props department where it's it's literally do the actors touch it you know, and, and if the actors don't touch it, props doesn't want to deal with it at all. That's a set deck. That's a, this, that's a special effects thing. We yeah. are not, nope. We only deal with your watch, your glasses. Yeah. Well, yeah, I have a friend who does uh, set stuff like that, set design, mm -hmm. set director or something yeah. along those lines. And uh, yeah, they were doing Grimm in Portland for some time. And that's a lot of local shooting. So, you know, he's, he was like, yeah, you got to go in and document their whole house, literally everything as it is before you go in. And then you have to label literally, literally everything you're taking out and store it and then bring it back in perfect condition and then bring all your stuff in and bring it all out. It's like, wow. Now it makes it, you know, that's why they have sets, huh? Yeah. No, ex exactly. But, but at the same time, there's just, there's certain value that you get out of going to a location. Um, I will say though, there's a lot of times that we go to a location and the way that we shoot where you're shooting into walls, a lot of the times, and you're yeah. shooting into these little areas and you're like, we could have done this anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, once yeah, you, your space gets compressed, once you're inside a room and your yeah. ability, ability for camera angles is diminished pretty, pretty much. I would think, I mean, not, mm -hmm. but, but there is an art when, when people can set design. And, and, and you're building the, those the, in, in a stage, the way that they are planning on put, where to put practical lights in the frame and just the angles of, of, of everything within the, you know, I worked on the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which that those sets are among some of the best sets, I think, that have been built for television. Um, they're right up there in, a, in the, the best of the best for sure. And yep, it was just, that. I it was designed in a way where the, the, the 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 set the art director is is 
leaving little things that make it good for the frame when you're looking at it. And so you're designing it already for certain shots um, with, with the ratio and the placement of things and whatnot. And they can kind of go into the renderings, the visual renderings and see how it's potentially gonna look on camera before you get in there. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting world of, of looking at it versus, well, this is the place we rented that kind of we like and we have to try to make it work and look cool. Yeah. And, and you have to live with what you have basically for, for what's naturally been there versus being able to design and put little sconces on the walls for lights and whatnot that just help um, to bring a little bit of life to a house. Yeah. So, yeah, I was thinking about like that connection between the, the director or the, the, the DC and the art director, um, especially on a film like maybe Moulin Rouge. Mm -hmm. you, it seems to me you would have to have like a team, like people who really understood each other to do a film like that. Like your mm -hmm. art director and your cinematographer, they both kind of have to really jive the same way because I don't I don't see something like that working without that type of teamwork. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that the, depending on the project will call for certain levels of those departments to come in earlier into a project mm -hmm. as well, especially I think for something like Moulin Rouge, um, because when they start coming up with the colors and, and, and the, the themes of what it's going to look like and feel like for the, you know, for the characters and their spaces or the, the venue, then, then yeah, you're, you're bringing in those, those department heads earlier into the story so that it can be part of even the writing process. And I know they did this for, for Batman, but from an audio perspective um, uh, with Hans Zimmerman helping to orchestrate the sound of Batman and, and it kind of helped, helped the whole movie know, depending on where he was at becoming Batman and Batman Begins and how close he was, you'll hear the, the, the music get closer and closer but never actually reaching what the iconic Batman song is that he created that he, he, Hans said, Oh, I made the Batman song first, but then I, um, but he's not Batman yet. So that's why we don't actually play that Batman song until, you know, the end of the movie when he's finally become the hero. And so it's, he, he, he doesn't hit the same uh, with the same instruments and uh, an octave. He's playing below it with, with, with horns and whatnot that are not quite at that frequency. And he's building up to it and rising to it. And he has, he gets these French horns that play um, complementary notes in, um, in a uh, cathedral. And they're firing the notes up at each other into the dome. So the notes mix in the dome and then they've got the recorders pointing up at the dome and the sounds firing down, mixing between the two notes. And that's how he does that French horn. It's these two, it's these French horns playing opposite notes and bouncing down in a cathedral and they mix and match. And it's like, and so the sound comes down from above. Ugh. And uh, yeah, it's just, just it, there's so much magic within the realm of, of, of art, I mean, in general. Yeah. And, and movies are one that tries to combine all of it. And I think that's one of the things that I'm just fascinated by the whole process is it, it, it's, a, it's a realm of, of magic. You know, we are playing illusions and tricks and, and using it to just tell stories about 
human existence and, and life. Yes, you're, you're the, it's the cauldron. I mean, you are the magicians mm -hmm. uh, setting the spells of the time. Um, and that's why I was interested. I mean, you, I've, I've noticed you in, in, in like room studying Kabbalah um, mm -hmm. and rooms uh, studying um, like uh, Casey, uh, you know, these mythology and because that's what we are. We're all these stories. And I was just thinking today while I was in the shower where all our best thoughts happen about spells and the fact that we, we really undervalue the value of spells. We, we poo poo it. We're like, Oh, you know, it's just the way they were brought up. Well, it, they had spells cast upon them and that's why they are the way they are. You know, I mean, one, one could even say that, uh, you know, a word, just a simple word is a spell. Well, that's right. That's where the word spelling comes from, right? I mean, it is about, it's about words. I, that's funny. <laughs> I never thought about that. Words, words are how we cast spells. And most of the worst spells are never cast over some cauldron throwing in, you know, bat blood or whatever. It's, it's face to face and it's derogatory in most cases. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the spells we cast. But, but like, yeah, having the words to, to, to eat, to express gratitude to someone that's casting a spell. Exactly. And so we can cast our spells either direction. And, um, but the worst spells we cast are the spells we cast on ourselves. And typically those are reiterations of spells that were previously played upon us that we have accepted and believed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's my worst. That's my worst nightmare. Are the are the spells that I can't seem to even find what the words are that made them. I don't know why I do the things I do, but I recognize that there's some sort of spell in there that I need to unlock. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm not talking in the witchy sense. I'm talking in the words that know the truth. Oh well, that, that's the that's the that's the the trick is to oversimplify that thing and go, oh, it's that witchy stuff. It's what the voodoo or something. Yeah, it's a no. magic. Mm -hmm. Voodoo, hoodoo, magic. You do. You do what? Have the power. Yeah. Or what? Exactly. The power of hoodoo. And and I I I am fascinated by just that the, the realm of of you know what is human potential. Um, I I do think that you know. I I've re I've read a bunch of works from the eighteen hundreds, and and um. And it's always shook, taken me by surprise when I find, look at the author and realize that this brilliant text that I've just read was written by an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old yeah. or a 20-year-old. And you're like, this is, you'd expect the person to be at least 30. <laughs> yeah. You know, I guess, I guess it's like Eddie Murphy coming out with Delirious at like 19, 20 years old. You're like, how is this possible? Right. And then, but there's just, there is, I think, um, I, I, f I feel like, you know, humans have a, have a really great capacity and, and, and you know, we don't quite, I, I don't know if we, we, we uh, enable our children to reach that capacity. Rather, if anything, we can, or we allow our children to help convince each other that they're, <laughs> with the reinforcement of society that ah, you're doing good enough and 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 what they're actually capable of is so much more 
Um, and, I, and I know when you look at education from around the world, there's, there's other places that, you know, when their kids are graduating high school, they're basically doing second year university here equivalently. And there's, there's the Ivy League programs, which kind of do that as well. And obviously, you don't want to overstress people by putting them into something that they're going to fail at. But I just, I feel like the, the, the bar could be raised because yeah. I believe in people. I don't care where you're from. Um, and uh, I know I'm, I'm, I am fascinated by that, by that world, you know, just the, like that we're almost under like the, the realm. I love the, the simulation theory stuff. And, and I like to, okay. I like to say that, oh, we are living in a simulation and that's a simulation that was created for us a couple thousand years ago that told us the world was flat and we're not as capable as we actually are because <laughs> we used to know the world was round. They, the Greeks knew this. They studied. They studied the shadows and and the arc angle of those shadows and knew the Earth was round. And a lot of people did. And then we were told it was like we were limited. <laughs> yeah, wild. Yeah, and it, uh, and now we've got all the evidence in the world, and we have people believing. Yeah, it's yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah, the, 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 that's another. I mean, that's a, a, a big issue of of something that, that keeps me inspired um, is, is recognizing how many people uh, are, are foregoing kind of logical thinking or critical thinking really. Um, and, and I'm okay with creative thinking, which can break, you know, the, yeah. that, that structure rules, but, but there's a place for, you know, evidence. Everybody likes talking about spectrums, right? These days, yeah. uh, evidence, yeah is also a spectrum from hard evidence we have it on video we have it on audio we have the dna we have hard measurable science that we can you know really break down and, and add with other layers to, to things that are more anecdotal or you know the, the evidence becomes weaker so we don't differentiate that that type of evidence that's making us come up with our uh what we want to say in a very um, confident way. These days, if you say something with confidence, you will be believed by people. I mean, there's a guy in the clubhouse that says that he's a time traveler from 2030. And there's a lot of people, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. Yeah, you're saying that with confidence. So must, must be, be true. true. Yeah, must be true. So yeah, the, uh, this, uh, the confidence, what do they call that? Uh, where, where you're like overconfident, but you really have nothing to back that up. There's a, there's a syndrome for that. Um, I mean, I know there's cognitive dissonance when you're just uh, yeah. repeating that. And uh, I mean, ignorance. Let's go back to critical thinking. I really uh, like this subject. And um, I, I, I think that there's um, a lot of advantage to not having people critically think. Um, because it's a lot easier to just to tell people what you want them to do. Mm -hmm. And so the markets are designed to get past your critical thinking and get you into your emotions. And so we get trained to believe life that way. Um, you know, if you grew up in an authoritarian environment, you're not asked to think. Matter of fact, you're told not to. And so you wait for instructions, therefore you always need an authority. Uh, mm -hmm. And that 
I think that challenges um, a lot of people's ability to, criti to critically think is having been told not to think or what to think most of their life. Mm. Uh, as far as evidence, I, a lot of people say they don't like science and I don't understand it because I've always been intrigued with it because it's a study of the natural phenomenon of life as it exists and in organic reality as well. It's, it, mm. you know, it's amazing. But I think there's a lot of people who don't like to learn um, new things. So they go with things that they feel and they go with their authorities and that's it. Mm -hmm. I, it fascinates me because there's, when I've gone back and, and, and come across, you know, ancient knowledge of, of what, you know, when they're talking about different ways that you learn something, they talk about um, learning by deduction, learning by what something is, by what it is not. Yes. And when they write about that, you're like, that's early science. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's science. Sure it is. Yeah. And, and, and then there's a way of learning by, by sitting down and, and, you know, meditating on not, and not having to make the mistake, not having to do it, but to sit down and, and explore, you know, your, your inner, inner knowledge and, and wisdom and whatnot. Right. And, and a path there. And it's, it's, um, you know, that's definitely, I think, an encouraged path, I think, especially as the later in life you go versus having to constantly fall into the mistakes and the troubles and the problems and think that in order for you to grow, you need to have something bad happen to you. Yeah, it's, it's not like, necessary. That can help, but don't look for it and think that you need it. Yeah. Um, there's other ways to, to learn and grow. Yeah, a nurturing environment is actually, you know, shown to be a pretty good way for people to grow. Like the people who I know that are most successful had strong, loving homes, you know, mm -hmm. highly educated parents who, you know, valued learning, but also valued individuality. So these people are all their own people. You know, mm -hmm. the people that I'm thinking of are, are their own people and they've, they've all kind of went their own paths and built their own worlds. Um, and that's the advantage of having, you know, a, a, a compassionate and, and nurturing upbringing because you come out a better product for yourself and society in the end. Um, it, I, don't, I don't know how parents, you know, can do it these days. It's really tough. I don't know how to, I mean, I just did it. You know, we just finished up on the whole parenting thing. We did, you know, hmm. we did our time and uh, it was, it was good, but I don't think I was great. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm, matter of fact, I've a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And so I cast some spells, I'm sure that, that they're going to have to undo and hopefully don't bring into the society, you know, on, on their side. I mean, and we all do because we are all, we're all basically a book of spells. Yeah. yeah but yeah, you, you do get to turn around once that, once they've left the house and, and go, well, you know, Hey, if I did anything or said anything, that caused you any uh, issues growing up that your angst? I, I am so sorry. I was making it up as I went along. I was trying my best. I love you, obviously. Um, and, uh, you know, just just good luck with everything that's coming next. And because it's really up to a young adult to turn around and go, hmm, am I happy with who I am today? Yeah. And if the answer is yes, you know, do I, you know, do I have uh, the skills to move forward and, and the ambition to continue life and 
a, a I can see a path of, of my future. Okay, yeah, it's gonna be something. I don't quite have the answers, but I have a direction. Mm -hmm. and I'm okay with who I am. Okay, well then all that other stuff that gave me angst in the past, it, it can't, it should no longer hold you, hold, you know, you can still have to discover it, talk about it, figure out things about yourself. But yeah, at that point, you know, the adults kind of got to go, I, I've got this from here, younger self. I've got this. <laughs> it does require opening up your book and seeing what it actually says. And, and mm -hmm. why counseling is, is important, I think, because one of the most challenging things is, is actually seeing our story because you're in it. It's, it's almost like trying to describe air when you're breathing it. It's just part of you. So um, it's, it's really good to have some sort of outside source that can really kind of nurture you into your story and, and help you find mm -hmm. out what you're telling yourself. Yeah. And, and I think that I'm still, you know, I'm 34. I'm still working on that. Um, I know I've, I've been working on it for a good 14, 15 years since I was really thrust into having to reckon with, you know, the ultimate question of, you know, what's the purpose of life. And, um, you know, I, I fell into that having, having lost two friends uh, to tragedies at, at 18 and 19 years old. Um, which took me out of my desire to want to do comedy. I was, I was, I was, you know, I graduated school and moved cities across Canada to Toronto to do, to study improv and, and, and comedy. Um, I had to wait till I was 19 before I could register with Second City, which they did SCTV back in the day on Canada, but it was like, you know, Eugene Levy. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, oh, Mike, Mike Myers and just uh, basically any Canadian that, that made it on Saturday Night Live would come from um second city yeah and uh the day i moved to toronto i lost uh the the woman who the, you know the she was i guess a teenage girl but uh, she was the first person that really saw me and believed in me as a young teenager and she was like an international award-winning dancer with like hundreds of trophies from when she would tour around the world and perform in you know a dozen different dance styles Incredible. And she was, uh, the day I moved to Toronto, uh, her car was T-boned in a car accident. And, uh, and so she was taken from us. And that was just, you know, a huge, huge gut drop to, 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 to many of us in the, in the community. And I moved to, to Toronto um, after that and clunked through first year college, trying to find myself and kind of started landing on my feet getting close to 19, applied for the improv program. I was like, okay, I, I got this. I'm going to go get involved. Moved, moved into the city with one of my coworkers who is kind of like an older sister to me, introduced me to a lot of people and, and helped, helped bring, bring out my, my desire to do comedy, just goofing around and laughing. Um, and then uh, one night she was breaking up with her boyfriend and, and he went to the kitchen and, uh, and grabbed the knife and, and ended, ended, ended her life um, and I had to kick down the door just just after he jumped out the window. Um, and we ended up putting him in jail and, you know, she passed away, uh, in my arms. And, and so I went and, and did the, you know, with that type of trauma, like I, one, I didn't feel safe in Toronto because we didn't know if this guy had any gang connections or anything. And I was the lead witness. And second, it was just like, in that moment of just being so broken, it was like, oh, this is, oh, this is what family's for. I'm, I need to go home. Yeah. Yeah. I need to go heal. I, and, and I didn't want to make people laugh. It was the last thing I wanted to do, even though I'd spent most of my childhood, that's all I wanted to do. <laughs> and, um, so I just had to go on a path of, 
trying to answer, you know, this, this deep question, like, what is the purpose of this life? What is the purpose of life? What is the purpose of humanity? What, how am I going to be part of, you know, if my life is so insignificant in the story of humanity. How is it that I should still feel significant in being part of what this life is and not fall into, you know, complete hopelessness and, or helplessness or, um, you know, wanting to detach away from society. Um, but uh, how can I build that foundation and, and what is the, so I, I went after kind of business and politics to try to, to fill the void of, of, well, I wanted to make people feel good, but maybe I can do something better and help make the world better for people instead, rather than just use, I saw laughter, like all of a sudden I started watching, I was watching Jon Stewart and I was no longer finding it funny. I was finding it as catharsis that was adding to people not actually doing something. <laughs> and so it became, I, I lost that, that reason why it was so important. And I started kind of over-focusing on, on yeah, issues with society. And, and I realized the history that I was taught was wrong growing up. And I had to relearn. I studied, you know, history of finance and banking and politics and just basically anything I could that would help keep me away from conspiracy, but at the same time help learn history. Um, well, that's so that was to stay away from conspiracy. It is to, you know, get as much history as you can. And of course, history comes in both sides. Um, try, and mm -hmm. the victor always has the most books. But you know, uh, the history having a good knowledge, good working knowledge, is is a is helpful, you know, with conspiratorial realities. I mean, you can kind of go, well, mm. these stories don't, su don't suggest that that has any truth. And these were, you know, put out long before you reconfigured your thoughts on them. Yeah. Well, I, I do like living with certain things where I'm like, well, actually, I don't know what the answer is to that. It could be 30%, 40% that answer or this answer. And I'm okay not knowing. Yeah. And anybody who's going to tell me that they know for sure, I'm going to be a little bit cautious. Yeah. I'm going to accept little perspectives and whatnot, but unless you, we were in the room when that was done, yeah. then it, you're, you're just hypothesizing at this point. That, um, well, there, I, I just stay away from I think that that's people. not natural. Mm -hmm. I do the same thing and it, it is not natural. It is not natural to hold two thoughts that disagree with each other in your head and and accept both of them at a different percentage level but still kind of going i don't know which one of these is actually 100 percent true and maybe mm -hmm. they're not maybe there is gradations on truths you know on, on something that has a little bit of this and a little bit of that so it's kind of both true you know um but that's something i've gotten better at over time is is being okay with not knowing mm -hmm. you know yeah and I need to get better at, at knowing when I don't know. <laughs> I think that's a good, <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh, so I wanted to go, uh, so you mentioned that this, this, this woman taught you how to see yourself. Yeah. And that was back to that nurturing concept we were talking about. What was, what was some of the things that were going on at that time that she really brought you through um for me at that time um and uh you know her name's clea willett 
Um, she, uh, for, for, I was, I was definitely struggling with, with my family in the sense that, you know, I'm the black sheep. I, I was interested in, in performing in, in the arts ever since I was young. And I come from a, a father who's, um, he encouraged us to go into business and, you know, and, and to, I mean, he, he's a very unusual, unusual person. Um, you know, he, he ran away with the carnival when he was a, a teenager and he went on to teach democracy um, before the wall fell in, in Eastern Europe uh, for six months before the wall fell. Wow. And um, so he's just, he, he's done, he used to be the assistant general manager of the Edmonton Oilers and he's owned hotels and restaurants and, oh, sorry, I just got a message, try to pop up on me. Um, he's, he's a, he's a fixer. He's a doer. He's, he's a person that just like need now, like it needs to, you know, I've got, he's just written a book for his kids. I saw that. <laughs> there's, there, there's 20, there's 20 published things here. And, um, you know, it's, I've, I've just passed the section where circus circus tried to hire him as a manager back in the seventies and he turned them down cause he didn't like those, that business, but <laughs> Well, he sounds like he'd be a great interview. Yeah, oh, he he really is. Um, but he he's not he doesn't he he uh, he's a private person. He doesn't do like he's he's made this book, but only printed twenty copies right. because he doesn't. It's not about him selling his book and giving it away so everybody has. <laughs> he's very private. But um, he sounds like a he, he, man, though. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, there's, there was always a list of work to do and the work was never good enough. Um, and, and he kept us really busy as, as kids and provided us a lot of opportunity. He didn't like the public school system, so he decided to start his own private school. And now it's one of the top private schools in British Columbia. Wow. Um, and so he just, he's kind of, he just whatever he wants to do, he goes and does it. it um, like so he's definitely a producer. Yeah, he's a he's a and a big shadow, I guess, to, to live under as well, right? Because it's it's his his way or the highway. Um, right. You know, a lot of things. That's the struggle. You were living in his shadow, and she yeah. helped you see yourself out. Yeah, out underneath yeah. the whereas, whereas he was he was physically taking weight me away from going and doing filming projects on the weekend. Um, you know, it literally pulled me out by my ear one day to as he made up the fact that we had a family barbecue. <laughs> Oh. Um, tried to take me out of a play when I was the lead, you know, for Cinderella. And um, he, uh, I was, it wasn't Cinderella, I was the prince, but, <laughs> uh. um, you know, just constantly rejected and put me down for, for wanting to do that. So I kind of sat there as a kid going, I really want to do this, but there's nobody in my family who thinks I can do it and encourages it. Yeah. Um, in wanting to perform and act. And, uh, when I was hanging out with Clea, she, uh, you know, I, I told her, I was like, one of my fears is like, I don't know how to cry properly. I don't know how to share my emotions properly. And even though I can do all this comedy stuff, it just, you know, I feel so limited as a performer. She goes, well, by the time you're, you know, 19, 20, somebody close to you is going to pass away and you'll have to draw from their love and what they mean to you in order to tap into your feelings and I'll allow that to unlock. And I thought about everybody dying at, after she said that, and I did not think about her and she was the one. Um, but just, just the light in her eyes uh, and, and the love that she shined, um, 
it was just this resonating effect. And it was like, why, why does she want to date me? I couldn't understand it. She was so amazing. And I was like, I'm the tall, awkward, you know, guy that, that people are like, oh yeah, I will. He's fun, but no girl wants to like him. Cause look at, he's got a baby face, but he's six feet tall. Like it's awkward. <laughs> and there was this gorgeous woman that was like, saw me and um and so that that definitely lit me up and uh made me feel of value made me feel like I could do something and I ended up uh switching schools my grade 11 and 12 I went to a public school at the big theater and um I, you know I, before in my private school I was cheating on almost every test it was like you know it just was not living the life that I should be living and when I changed schools you know she just quickly she just said to me one day she's like you don't have to promise me, just promise yourself and trust me, it'll be worth it. So I stopped cheating, lying, stealing, and just went, oh, I'm going to try in life now and give in and my grades plummeted. <laughs> but then they came back up as I, sure. as I fought back, right? Sure. So, um, wow. I just, I, I got a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of love for that woman and, and what she uh, helped to show me, which was a giant mirror of, of love. Yeah. Hopefully you get to take that lesson with you um, and use use it on others. Mm -hmm. That's why these people come in and they they teach us how to be better people so that we can help others. Well, and, and I do love the idea of of you know if if taking uh, taking the the point that her her love and her light affected me and really changed me at such a young age, then. Yeah. Um, taking that into my heart and, and allowing that to go and spread, you know, her life is endless. I'm just one person. She infected a lot of people. And so for me, that's kind of the power of, of life itself is that we resonate and we are resonating together and, you know, towards love, may we resonate over and over and over again until, you know, hopefully sometime in the future, we, we reach it and it's just, may it grow and grow. And, and withstand the traumas of our times. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, that's, I, as I've looked through all the, this, you know, the, the different people speaking about spirituality and purpose and meaning and all of that, it comes back to two things, and that's truth and love, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of truths out there that we don't want to face. And... So hopefully there'll be some saint that comes along and helps us face some truths about ourselves like you had happen, you know, and then there's a lot of things that we make true that, that aren't true, you know, like we were talking about earlier with the spells. And so it's, I think our purpose is to learn how to be better lovers and to spread that. That's, I think that's the bottom goal. Mm -hmm. Of humanity i think it's why we even exist i love that yeah it's it's a it's a big 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 task we have in front of us but you know if you don't i like this i like to you know say if, if, you know if you don't think that we're that there's a chance for us to achieve you know a, a better place in humanity for the future and you think it's all gonna end and well then what's the point yeah let's and get our money let's go to vegas yeah. spend it all let's waste it let's keep partying because it doesn't matter not yeah. going to worry about raising kids when i don't know how to raise kids not gonna like what's the point it's like well that doesn't go very far 
Right, right. It, it, up in, a, in it, hedonism it, and, it, and, and it, a pile it, of garbage. I mean, everybody's picking their philosophy that they want to follow, you know, and hedonism's up there. It's a big one. And uh, <laughs> you know, when I find people who are like super hedonistic, typically there's a real lack of empathy in those people. Not always. Mm-hmm. You know, some people are hedonistic just because they got the money and they enjoy having a good time. And But they mm-hmm. also think deeply about things. But, you know... You know, hedonism can blind us, I think, to to the compassion and understanding and empathy in others with others. Mm-hmm. Giving giving into uh, the, the the power of the uh, the frontal lobe, <laughs> driving what you think you want now. <laughs> the ego, yeah. Do you find it hard to meditate? I I find it so damn difficult, and I do try every day. And I'm trying for a half hour every day and I seldom get there. Um, I'm probably working at 20, 10% getting there, but I'll at least get 10 or 15 or, you know, and it's helpful, but I've got ADD so bad that, you know, it just starts yep. to rumble in there. But I think that's why I need to do it, you know, because I need to mm-hmm. call that, that little, whatever that guy is in have there. You, bouncing have around. you ever had any like, when you are meditating and, and, and doing that, and then all of a sudden, just it's like out of the ether, just a thought just goes fully formed in your head at the end of it or some point. When, no. you're, when you're trying to let go of things and not clear your mind. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden, it's like, I don't know, a, a charge of, of an idea or something or a moment. I've heard about this phenomenon, and you know, David Lynch talks about it. Um, but I have not experienced, I've experienced more ideas than I can keep. Um, and I have experienced this space where I was kind of like just a spot, just like this little bright white spot where all the rest of me kind of disappeared. And that's all I felt like I was, was just this little bright white spot, like way far away in a tunnel, like, but it was all me. I don't know. That was a weird sensation. That was after that was years ago when I was really working hard at it. I was doing hours at a time. And after about four hours, I got to this place where it was, you know, kind of what do they call that? Like where your body's not with you. Mm -hmm. But uh, I have not had fully formed visions. Um, Yeah, that that would be fascinating. I mean, I. I'm, I'm getting better at, at just, yeah, just breathing and relaxing and being okay with, with, with the moment and, and letting go of, of, of any pressures of, of anything and, and, and getting more in harmony with, uh, with, 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 with me really. Yeah. Um, you know, from, from just focusing on loving, a loving a good breath. Yes. Oh, I love that. And, so- and that. It's it's guiding my health. It's helping me improve, making better decisions with what I'm choosing to do versus not choosing to do, because I'm focusing and I'm 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 truly uh, on on a path of of getting to know myself in in kind of a personal spiritual place. That's something I've I've always avoided, and I think I avoided it because I knew how powerful it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I kind of, it's just unlocking, just in the unlocking it right now. Yeah. 
Well, the, and the fear is that with power comes responsibility, right? Once you know who you are and what you're here for, you got to do the work mm -hmm. and, uh, and you're no slouch. So I imagine it's going to be a pretty big job. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And, and, and maybe that's part of my hesitancy as well. Because <laughs> well, yeah, it goes back to the talents, right? Responsibility is so important, right? When you accept when you when you accept to be responsible for certain things, when you start to step up in your life and 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 take whether it's in your work, your you know, your community, your, your family, all of this, you you take on responsibility for life. And that is not to be taken lightly or spoken lately because of how important that is. Those this foundation of, of, of love and trust and all these things, especially working in business, or all of a sudden you, you start executing, there's 10 people that are relying on you to make sure that they have work the next month for their, all of their families and their security. So it's like responsibility is very, very important yeah. uh, when in any of these levels. and. Um, and it's yeah, I think part of that is unlocking once once you realize your potential and you start to embrace that, then the responsibility is almost inevitable. For what? My wife needed the key. Um, <laughs> responsibility, um, the ability to have a response, the ability to have a correct response, I find is enhanced at an exponential level when I do meditate mm -hmm. and your job is to be able to be responsive. Your whole job is about responding correctly to each situation as it presents itself and finding the right solution. Mm -hmm. And I know if in my head, if, if a whole bunch of things start coming at me and I'm not in the right space, I'm not going to make the right answers. I'm not going to have the right answers. I'm not going to make the right decisions. And at some point I'm probably going to blow up because I don't know how to do what I'm doing. You know, you're like, ah! you know, <laughs> just lose it. Yeah. But you know, the, uh, the days I do meditate, I find even if, if a storm, you know, say there's an emotional situation and the storm comes, you know, it's all around me and yet I'm there, you know, and, and, you know, yeah. I feel like kind uh, on the ship, you know, just ten percent what happens to you and ninety percent how you react or something. Yeah, yeah, and and, uh, and so just that breathing, is breathing through. Okay. Like, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, but by all means. So just breathing through a situation that's very stressful, and mm -hmm. it gives you that space to consider. Like somebody's coming at you, and they're just throwing a bus at you, <laughs> just keep with that metaphor. They're throwing a bus mm -hmm. at you and you're breathing and you're considering everything they're saying. And you're looking at it from the whole because you're breathing. And then at some point you come up with a completely perfect response. And that's only because you weren't letting them get to you because you were yeah. just staying in your space and recognizing that they needed to do what they needed to do. You don't, you know, don't take others personally. It's their own little world going on there. Um, but now that they've done that and they've thrown the bus at you, what do you do? You, you have to have a solution there and your job doesn't let you get away with not having a solution. 
Mm-hmm. That's it's, it's it's an interesting thing of depending on on where you're thrown off in that that energy place of um, the the difference between going into anxiety and not is is when they looked at the science of it is is your breathing is is the ease is the place that is the foundation of keep yeah you can have a heightened sense or or a withdrawn sense or whatever in something but as long as you are breathing it creates the rhythm for your whole cycle and your whole system to operate properly and that's like a foundational plane for for you to to not get thrown off and off tilter where you get the emotional responses coming up versus yeah the more deeper you know, sense of, of where your wisdom gets to come out mm-hmm. a little bit of pause and, and that's something that you know I'm, I'm working on a lot because it's I, I recognize that I, I get in trouble I've gotten in trouble for for my whole life where I try to stand up for something that I deem as as being necessary towards truth you know, I'll stand up for other students and I've been kicked out of classes and, but it's because I hyper-focus on like, no, no, but like I get, you want to get mad at me, that's fine, but that's wrong over there because this, this, this is what happened. And that's not, that's, there's no reason to be mad at that, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, you know, and I recently had one that, where, where the person I was training um, didn't do something for 20 minutes to help, to help give an actor his lunch. And when I asked him, why? And he goes, oh, well, you know, well, I, I sent you a text. And I was like, no, no, not your text message. Remember when we had the conversation right here in the spot? And I said, can you get that actor his food first? And then everybody else's, can, they can have it. You can start to get that ready for 20 minutes from now. Right. And he waited and got them all together. You know, little thing, but the actor is sitting there in a van for 20 minutes waiting for the guy to bring over his food. Right. And it was very clear because I was standing there with him and I, was, and I pointed and he looked and saw the actor. <laughs> Oh no! And and I go, I just need you to admit that we had this conversation here. Like I I'm not trying to wasn't trying to get mad at him or right. rate him. It was just actually started to get frustrated because he was just ignoring this moment of time in which we both stood there looking at each other, <laughs> having this conversation. And so I became visibly visibly frustrated. Even though what I'm saying is I just need you to accept this but visibly from a distance it looks like i'm just angry at the guy because i'm having that emotional kick and i'm losing my breath Mm -hmm. and it's just yeah it's 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 a it is a practice it is so once you hold your breath your body automatically goes hey what's going on and then you give it some information this guy did a thing and now your amygdala is going what do we do with this we gonna fight this guy what are we gonna do we're in fight mode now and yeah. we get into the smaller primitive part of our brains and and earlier when i was talking about there's power in manipulating um that most of the power plays are that they are trying to scare you so that they can put you into your primal brain so that from there they can control you they can tell you who the enemy is and they can tell you who the king is and from there, you're their little, you're their, you're their Play-Doh because they got you afraid. Yeah, that's how they, that's how they make it. That's how they make people, make people think. Well, I do not get scared by that. Yeah. Because I'm okay with losing everything. <laughs> that's the key. That's a key to it all. 
You know, today's a good day to die. You know, I'll be the last to know about it when I'm gone. So yeah. I might well live as good as I can so that, you know, nobody feels bad that they said something bad to me because I never gave them a reason to, you know, because that's the worst thing that happens when somebody dies is all the people behind said, yeah, you know, last time I, last time I talked to him, we weren't happy with each other. It's like, ah, you know, you don't know, no regrets. Yeah. Well, and I appreciated the, the, the book that Dale Carnegie put together on how to stop worrying and start living. Uh, and in it, he references a lot of past philosophers, you know, going back from that, that period of time and, and going back thousands of years. And um, everybody's saying the same thing, right. which is, you know, whatever you're worried about. So you're worried about, you know, in my situation of I've upset my, my boss and he's coming to, to, to get mad at me for, for something that I've perceivably done, whether or not I've done it or not. And, and people want to start oh fight fighting to stand up for themselves or they're worried that they're now going to have their, their job threatened. And, and so for me, I'm going, okay, if, if, if I'm fired, I'll, I'll just walk away. Like I'll, I'll go do a, I'll go work on another show. I'll, you know, if I have to, I'll go do another job for six months. Like I'll be fine. I'll figure it out. Uh, and I feel, you know, that no matter what the worst situation, the outcome is, is to be okay with that worst. And then from there you go, what can I do now? Right. And right. focus on the now versus worrying too much about what might be. Right. Yeah. Well, I lost my job at 20 years last year and you know, having a job, a corporate job, where you do the same thing da, 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 all the time, uh, it's it's comforting. It's reassuring in a lot of ways. You never have to worry where, where the cash is coming from. Um, but then the COVID thing hit and they, they got rid of like 60 people in a day and I got to be one of them, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So I had to do a reset. And I knew I had always wanted to do this. I, I mean, not always, but I've always been interested in dialogue. I've always been interested in conversation. Um, when I'm in the car, I listen to talk more than radio for years, all my, most of my life. Um, so I knew I wanted to do this, and I'd actually started this a couple weeks prior to having been to being fired, just thinking I was going to try to get a side gig going. Finally, it started it, and then this, then I got fired, and then it just kind of solidified. You're all in, you know, go all in, and that's mm -hmm. what I've done. So I still haven't figured out a business plan yet. Actually, I've got, I think I'm, think I've got one. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a, a generosity plan. So the generosity plan is that everybody who I've interviewed, who has a product or service, I'm going to go ahead and promote their stuff on my page. That's one side of it. The other side of it is I, I kind of want to do a little community um, show. And so Garland Pepper community and it's going to be like a little quick 15 minute thing where I go out and I just kind of get the basic news and do a one week thing and mm -hmm. then highlight a retailer and maybe start working on getting some sponsorships there, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's the next level. That's going to be my money-making arm. This is, this is my passion. I love long form. It, it, isn't it wonderful? Like it's just to, to see, uh, to help break the, the cycle of the chopped up sound bites yeah that we've been living with more and more and more and then all of a sudden it was like we just needed this counter culture push back yeah 
Mistake. No, no, we need to have conversations that allow for, you know, I, I think the, the word being used out the most right now is nuance. Um, just yeah. allowing us to, to hear each other. Yeah, it's, it's why hard to do nuance. It's difficult to do nuance um, because of camps. You know, uh, you were in a uh, transgender in sports room the other day and mm -hmm. And I saw you trying to take an open position there, uh, a learning position, mm -hmm. and forces on both sides kind of retrenched into their own zones, felt like you you were attacking and, and you're trying to explain, no, I'm not, I'm trying to get more information here. Um, and that's that's the thing is we, we, we have our defensive positions and, and I think we've been taught that that's the way to approach learning. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes when you try to build a bridge, both sides that are on either side of that bridge actually end up stopping you from building that bridge. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And and so and, it's and, difficult because you want to come at it with compassion, but also understanding, <clears throat> you know, and, and mm -hmm. that's a really tough one because I have friends who are transgender and they're not in sports. Um, but they were doing all the things that you could do in the military as a man, you know, including taking care of Muslims, mm. not knowing that they were being taken care of by a woman. <laughs> yeah, she was, she was that, you know, he, he is, he is that obviously a man now, you know, and, mm -hmm. but, but the whole thing of me being born with testosterone in my body and it's, it's, it's defining my structure, my bone structure, my muscle structure, all of that stuff up until the time I decide to transition. Now, if I transition at 14, I'm probably going to be a lot more female. If I'm a boy transitions at 14, I'm going to be a lot more female than somebody who transitions at 21 and can't, you know, can't get rid of the voice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's that testosterone is in there. It's evidence of the situation, the voice is evidence of the situation, the density of the muscles, the higher twitch. The, the hip, the hip structure, not a lot of people talk about. The hip structure. The yeah. Hip, the hip, obviously, because women are, have the hips that can give birth. And, exactly. And, uh, and it provides a different cue angle for the legs, which provides uh, men with more agility and power yeah. in, in, in running statistically as well. And so it's, you know, when you, when you're adding all, it's one of those things where, you know, it's like, oh, what are the influences that make a person's personality? Okay. Well, we could probably make a list of a thousand things. Okay. Okay. What are the, what are the, what's the list of things that, that make a, a difference between a, a male and a female in, in, in body structure to statistically? Well, it's not just, everybody just talks about the hormones. Hormones is a big part. Well, there's all those other little things like you're mentioning, and we don't quite know the effect of all of that. In, the, in providing a base level advantage over somebody without some of that other stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's kind of one of those things of how are we measuring two, two athletes that are performing, you know, some sort of a competition yeah. when we, we don't even know their base layers and how their base layers can, can, can be balanced in order to actually have them properly compete. Right. And so that's, that's why I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's an individual sport by sport thing to well, look at. I started with this one woman who wasn't transgender. She was just born 
close to hermaphrodite, I guess. She has very high testosterone, uh, but she is a woman uh, from birth. Um, I remember that's when it kind of all started kicking up. Um, and they, I forget, did they- That was the runner? That runner, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so she actually has internal testicles. Oh, she does? Testosterone, yeah. So I mean, so how that, 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 I mean, that puts her into a different category of conversation. That's not that's a whole different transgender. That, that's that's you know um, intergender. Yeah, and so, so intergender is a separate conversation from transgender, and a lot of people get that those that crossed because it's often the intergender kids, the parents, and the kids early on choose with hormone therapy and possibly surgery a, yeah. a direction for the child. Yeah. Um, and so that's where you'll have um, that intervention happening with hormone therapy or surgery um, within the realm of, of an intergender child, which is diff a different conversation than providing hormone and, and surgery to a child who it wants to, trans to, 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 to change genders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost like there's, so no, yeah. there's no, like, binary solution to this you can't if it's going to be male female sports it's that's not going to include everybody mm -hmm. uh, but are you going to have you know transgender sports teams because that would be really challenging because you know imagine most transgender people live in in cities for the most part but yeah. And so you could have that, that the community and have uh, sports, but I don't know that. I mean, of that group, you're talking about having a big enough group of people who are going to compete in the same type of things, and it's yeah, it's it's, it's really a challenging. A couple a couple athletes, right within yeah. within the realm within that area, mm -hmm. and so it, it, I think it, it I think it comes down to things like soccer, where a, a team might be limited to having only one or two uh, trans trans gender players on their team. And so they're capped. So then the transgender players would have to spread out amongst yeah. the thing. Yeah. I'm a and, and there might be rules on, you know, gender sprinter. And I just want to do sprinting and I want to sprint against all the other girls. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, and I think when you're, when you're looking at the competitions for, uh, for records and racing weights, you know, this, that's different than, than, uh, something that like soccer that's often that can often be played intersex anyway yeah yeah, or, yeah. Um, and um it doesn't have that physical attachment rugby is a little bit more of a sensitive conversation because there's been a, a handful of um, transgender women that um uh, cause a lot of injuries especially in the uk um again and they even their teammates are like oh she's great we're winning lots of games we just hope she doesn't injure our players during practices <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there, there yeah. is the, that their own challenges there within within that but then for for records you know was it that the 10 minute mile <coughs> what was that what, what is it what what is it what's the famous distance there and is it the 10 minute mile or is it or the, the oh the the uh five, sub four is it four sub, minute mile sub four minute mile the roger bannister yeah and so that i think that right there is is something which is a measurement of, of time that only men have ever accomplished oh yeah yeah i think you're correct yeah. so so 
what 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 happens when somebody who uh, it, you know in their previous gender was able to accomplish this and then they change and then they they decide to uh, live a life be, and, and go and, and become transgender yeah and and to then and they're able to pass that marker as a as a trans woman mm-hmm. now we have a, a the first woman that's ever passed this marker well oh okay you know yeah Mm-hmm. How 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 many other women who would might be born cis would be able to pass that marker? Are yeah. we setting a bar within a realm of measuring the human potential of the physical structure of that form in being like weightlifting is an easy example. Um, and so within those realms, it's like, well, how do we how do we how can we be inclusive? How can we what what is okay? Well, what's the difference between the best out of each gender for that sport? What is the gap? Can okay, what do we think that hormone therapy changes forty percent? Okay, yeah. well that gap minus you know what we've measured forty percent, we might agree within our realms. Then that you know whatever score uh, this trans athlete gets might just have to reduce it by this variance <laughs> to say this. Well, this was your this was your competitive time. We will we'll save your original time for your record as being, a, you know, a trans woman in this in the, getting that thing with a little star beside it. But we can't erase the cis woman, right, from her yeah. accomplishments. So because yeah, we're measuring if two different, like, two different data sets, two different ways of gathering data, or, or within a study, it's it seems to be the only mixing. the only real solution is to is to if I come in second, right, and I'm a woman and I come in second to a, 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 a transgendered woman, um, and, and, and it's significant and it's almost a record breaking, right, never a woman has done it before, it does seem right that my name should still be on there as first and her name should be on there as first also, but yeah, at, yeah. With, yeah. With, celebrate an, both. with an asterisk. Yeah, celebrate both. Like if, if, if people say that there's not many of these athletes, great. Let's celebrate them both. Why are we making them compete against each other in a sense of we'll only remember one or we'll only provide one scholarship or so I'm sorry, they both all all those girls should go to get scholarships. <laughs> yeah. Well, think about this. What if Caitlin had transitioned before Bruce? Mm-hmm. I mean, Caitlin would have set records that no man ever, I mean, that, that set the world Olympics records. I mean, and then men wouldn't be able to yep. match that record. So that would be kind of an interesting take. Of course, then again, if he had transitioned at that point in time, he probably wouldn't have had the strength. The shot put wouldn't have been there because the estrogen would have been eating it down. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he would have been beating men. That's the thing. Not just women. If it was a, yeah. you know, it was only a few years into it, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating topic, and it's one that I just hope people can have respectfully. Yeah, um, because it is it is so new. Well, um, and, and the thing is, feelings and policies needs to be taken very carefully, and when you make policies where you force people 
to make a statement that is not true under all circumstances, but you force them to make it true under all circumstances, you're going to have pushback. This is one of those places of that conversation where you, you know, I have no problem saying a trans woman is a real woman when it comes to most of life. Absolutely. Like, cause men and women are equal. Um, and, and there just happens to be a biological difference that, 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 that sits there. And, and so it's, it's to force, to try to force people to regurgitate a statement, which it does not help the facts on the ground in measured science. If a trans woman is a real woman all the time, then we wouldn't need all this medicine or these surgeries. We wouldn't need because it's, it's, I think is a real woman in the sense of, of essence of being a woman, but not in a physical sense. Like, no. so people get trapped into these, the, making these absolute statements or being forced to accept these absolute statements. And if they don't, then they're gonna be called transphobic. They're gonna be called all these things. And, and now you've got the, this, this battle happening over people not being able to have a, a nuanced conversation that, that's I think founded in, in respect and, and love. And, mm-hmm. um, but also, able to reckon with 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 our, our understanding of the facts as they are now hey in 50 years we might be having a completely different conversation as technology changes yeah you might be able to you know know right up front genetically whether the kid's going to want to be or what, what their yeah. identification is you, you know uh, we, we don't know how genetic it is at this point um but there, I mean, just the the fact that hermaphrodites exist, right? The fact that mm-hmm. sex, sexuality is is such a rainbow of options that could happen to you, you know, like like this woman with the testicles, or I don't know if it's a rumor or true or what, but they they say Jamie Lee Curtis was was born kind of both, and that they mm-hmm. did procedure that they used to do back then, you know? Um, and so she's lived as a woman and, and I don't think she knew about it, but I, mm. you know, maybe, and, and that might just be urban legend. I don't know about the whole Jamie Lee Curtis mm-hmm. thing. Have you ever heard that one? <laughs> no, I, I have not heard that one. That was, that, that was a new one. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, I even found out, I was reading a, a really old, the, the oldest book in the world, Patahotep out of Egypt. Oh yeah. Um, written in about 3500 BC, I think. And in it, there's a section that talks about um, men, men who are women. Yeah. And then it goes on to talk about these women. And, and it's just like, oh, this is in the oldest book, right? This isn't a new thing. And it's, it's actually a, a positive statement. It, it says it basically was like, you know, like, you can be kind, whatever, just, but you won't be able to start a family with these people. So that's the issue, especially at a time when they needed their families to grow. <laughs> and that was an important part of succession when you're going back to 3500 BC. But they acknowledged that, that uh, they acknowledged uh, basically a trans woman in this holdest book and right. went on to keep talking about her as a woman. Um, I was like, this is, it's been going on for a long this isn't new <laughs> no it isn't it isn't new at it's all we... it's part of the human experience I, I think you know 
we always kind of want to put everybody in hedgerows, you know, maybe it's agriculture that taught us to make everything neat and orderly. And we all have to be on the same page. And, and uh, it's a lot easier to manipulate people if they're all thinking the same thing and have the same common fears and, and such. So I think we, we are afraid of ourselves, you know, our desires, our humanity, and, and we're also afraid of somebody else having a good time. <laughs> you know, So, yeah, I, I just feel like we, we could be better at accepting others. Um, it is a challenge. The, the competition thing just throws a, another ring in there. I mean, as far as anybody identifying as whatever they want to me, that's what I will call you. That's what you are to me from then on. Yep. Um, but as, as far as fairness, and I think that's the question we're really talking about here. Um, and it just happens to be, you know, a time where we're really all trying to be fair. But this is one of those cases where your fairness takes away my fair, you know, fair chance. You know, I'm this, mm -hmm. you know, this young, young woman who's been, you know, say hurtling for forever and I'm just really the best at it in the state and then this other person comes along and and they've got extra they got extra stuff going on and they can they can beat me with less mm -hmm. training yeah it, I I mean in, in general there, there's been a pattern of I mean say pattern but uh where you have a a, a mediocre um uh, a person who who when they competed as a male uh were mediocre in their sport and after transitioning became one of the best in the league. Yeah. And, and, and that pattern has been seen, you know, like it's, it's uh, name a sport. You could probably find an example. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and I, people like to bring up like the, the Williams sisters a lot. Well, you mm -hmm. know, if, uh, if you took any of the top hundred tennis players that are male and any of them transitioned, they would destroy Serena and, and Venus Williams. Yeah. Because Serena and Venus Williams have played men that are ranked well up, uh, at a lower rating than 100. Yeah. And were destroyed by these guys that were ranked 110th. Yeah. Um, really beat Bobby Riggs, though. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's <laughs> the battle of the sexes. What's that? Is that the famous battle of the sexes? The battle of the sexes. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. And she came out to, I am a woman hear me roar yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was good um ah uh, i had a, i had a thunk and it just went boink out the brain and i'm gonna have to get back at it here real quick um oh sabrina i did want to touch on that a little bit so mm -hmm. was, that, was that one of your first shows you worked on or that was um no first i uh, it was it was about uh three years in that mm -hmm. i worked on the show yeah but it was it was one i did for two years uh definitely an incredible memory um, great cast, great crew, uh, fantastic sets. Lived in dark for two years, <laughs> for a lot of like, just because of the night shoots and, and oh, studio okay. work and whatnot. So um, it was it was a it was a wonderful period of of of, of time and just yeah, phenomenal experience. And, and I got to set the background for that show for basically the two years. Did you set so, the background? Yeah, and just kind of I help make them part of the of the story in the show, right? And, uh -huh. and give them information they need to add to the performance and and help bring to life the town and, and whatnot. So, 
Right, I did. Uh, I've done a little bit of that. I see, Mr. Holland's opens. My my one famous shot is you see the back of my head uh, off the off the jib off the jib arm. That's my that's yeah. my shot right there, coming into the stage when he does his final opus. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I get. I'm opening the scene. Yeah, <laughs> You're like oh, I got a little bald spot there. You like the back of this guy right here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I miss being on the stage because I didn't have a suit. They were like, if you got a suit, we can get you on stage. I was like, oh, I couldn't find a suit. I had suits, but now I got suits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Mr. Holland's Opus. It's kind of fun, like, meeting the the people, the, the you know, like, the actors and stuff. They always tell you, don't talk to them and this, that, and the other. But every now yeah, and then, yeah. we'll walk by and go, hello. And you're like, oh, they said hi to me. You know, <laughs> it's 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 such a funny it's a it's such a funny thing about um, the 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 value of attention and and how 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 easily it is to get like to feel that mm -hmm. that, that, that 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 power. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and, and I've I've noticed that really really good actors, really professional ones that are under the list of a lister famous, whatever, they're really good at talking um, at people, mm -hmm. at a group of people, rather than sp specific people. Okay. Yeah. So Brad Pitt sits there and talks to 20 people, not one. Yeah. And so he's in control and he's not having a private conversation where somebody's going to go, oh my God, so Brad Pitt had a private conversation with me. He's like, no, he's talking to everybody. And he just said, and you with the hat there, and he's just right. bouncing and playing. It's keeping everybody in, in the energy alive. Yeah. Well, I saw two very different, uh, Bruce Willis and Billy Bob shot um, in our little town here. And, and Bruce was very much, do the shot, go back to the trailer. Billy, yep. Bob, Billy Bob was do the shot, come back out and meet y'all, hang out. And he was just signing autographs and saying, hey, how y'all doing this, that, and the other. Oh yeah, bless y'all heart. And, you know, just like, just a sweetheart. Was, and he loved it, you know, but Billy Bob came, mm. you know, he kind of, he got the wild card. He came in, wrote a good script, came in and just got some stuff done like quick. You know, yep. so he was still himself. He hadn't been jaded by the Hollywood thing. By the time you know that movie was made, anyways, he's still young and having a great time. Oh, that's good. Yeah, there, there definitely is the uh, okay. I'm done. Cut. I'm gonna go disappear now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And sometimes they're sometimes they're just it's a way of protecting um, their performance and their their energy. Right. Uh, there's a lot of actors all these really or, or maybe they're they're working on a they go back to their trailer and they're actually memorizing their lines for a movie they're gonna do next. Right. And so there's just, there's so many things that sometimes it's because they just don't want to talk to people. Right. And they want to right. shelter off, but not a lot of energy. There, there are so many things. I keep cutting you off. I'm sorry. Yeah. There's a lot of energy you have to keep, right. You have to be focused and some, some actors can go offset. They know their part because it, it just, mm -hmm part of them and then they go out and they're hanging out with people and they can come back and do the scene others you know it's it's got to be in here it's got to be in here you've got to you know they got to do the thing go through you know whatever their, their their acting training is some of them have rituals you know it's it's there's great. um there, there's a fun one called too called saving the performance mm -hmm. and so as you are going from like the wides 
to the you know the the bigger shots to the close-ups well the actor will hold off on the wides and, and the things when it comes to their if they're having a really emotional part of the scene right they might just kind of throw it away a little bit on the wides yeah and when they get to the close-up they go right for it right. and they, and that's and so at the end of the day now if you're the editor and you've got to edit the scene the actor has kind of forced your hand <laughs> because there's a, <laughs> these are the good takes yeah but they won't they won't screw with the whole it's just literally for their dialogue and their moments yeah that on the the ones here they're like ah the emotion's kind of there but it's not and then there it's there well i mean that's yeah. that's the purpose of a close-up but they've right? also saved they've instead of burning their energy with the wides and then this and then you get to this and then you try to do it a third or fourth or fifth or tenth time and it's like oh i can't quite get there so there's also that sense in it it's just what you know tony montana on the it's a fine line between the actor controlling the editing and the actor ensuring that the performance works <laughs> so you think they're doing that like purposely so they can get you know because a close-ups uh, you know definitely a lot more visceral shot for an actor to to have I, they're more memorable. i can tell you that close-ups are very important for all actors because that's when the audience falls in love with you and they want to make sure that they get as much close-ups in whatever project that they're doing so that their character is elevated into the story and that you know them more as an audience um I don't know. I don't think a lot of actors are that conscious of it, but I have seen a lot of actors go, is it when they, they're, they need to know, like, or they'll fight for it. Well, am I going to get my close up on this scene? Like, cause they, they did it on that size. Oh no, we're not going to need, well, are you like, cause and you see them kind of <laughs> I'm ready for my close up. You know, well, you really want to, you always want to tell an actor when it's going to be their close up as well to give them that, that moment and they'll, they appreciate it. So I, I do know it's an important thing. And, um, and, but, but the extent at which that decision is motivated when filming a scene that it's, they're controlling the editing versus saving the performance. Mm -hmm. I, I'd pro I probably say it's more saving the performance, but there's definitely, <laughs> there's definitely performances. Of, uh, of of the editing as well. That's interesting. That is interesting. They're very crafty. They're very they're very clever. They're very smart. <laughs> yeah. So, who's your favorite actor you ever worked with? Michelle Gomez. Michelle Gomez. Yeah. So she played Missy on Doctor Who. Uh huh. In the UK. And huh? just an incredible spirit of a woman makes you laugh just like that so silly bonkers and and um and and i i used to i'd walk around with her on the set and and video you know take videos of her messing with the cast and or the, the other crew members uh -huh. and just keeping her in a light mode as she's putting on a character and walking around and making speeches and just doing silly things to play. It kept her in a, a light place. And then she's like, she would go, oh, are we gonna go do the thing we're gonna act now? And it's like, yep, we're rolling right now. Oh, now we're rolling, uh huh? And it's like, and action, me, I'm gonna go act, 
I mean, I'm, I'm going to go. Okay. And then like busts through the door and is perfectly in her character of like, I'm about to kill it. Like she's Madame Satan for our show. So, um, Oh, she was <laughs> Satan. Yeah. But so, so she, she, I literally have a clip of her like goofing off and like printing and then she's like, and action. And then, yeah. and then goes straight <laughs> part of it. It turns the corner and is in character, but literally half a second before was just being a goofball. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and so it's just, I, I, I love that, that, that playfulness of, and just the amount of time she made me laugh is, you know. Wonderful. There's two types of actors out there. There's the ones who play before they play. And then there's the ones who really kind of just shut it all down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's been my experience in the green room. I'm the annoying one that's playing and that's shut down. People are like, I think I'm going to go somewhere else. (laughs) Yeah. No. Yeah. And there's, there's definitely a lot of that where the actor is like, can I, is there somewhere else I can go? I just want to sit down and read and they're playing guitar and singing. (laughs) Right. Right. On the other side. Yeah. 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 Well, this has been great. What a great birthday. Will. uh, anything that you want to tell the world, um, well, Actually, that's not how I do this. Usually I say, usually that it already comes up because it's kind of the goal of the show is, um, what are you doing to help the world be a better place? I am trying to learn a language of understanding what it is to be human and what are the challenges of being human that we go through from growing up and being a teenager to finding our place Mm -hmm. uh, and finding a place where, you know, no matter what happens, um, you're able to have the, the, the hope to, to persevere through any of life's challenges. Um, And so I I think that is, you know, an, an ultimate journey for, for, for humans and, and, um, and, and, and the sooner, that, that they can achieve that place, then the more that we can flourish together within our communities. And we have less anxiety in our communities. We have more people being prosperous and, and, and more love and more harmony. So, so I just, I'm fascinated by, by that. And, you know, so I, I pull apart things like uh, survival or, or foundations of hope being survival, attachment and mastery. Um, and, and it teaches me about storytelling and I, I can threaten a character on each of those pillars. I, I can threaten their survival um, and, or I can have that, that character think that their own survival is, is, is where they're in hopelessness, uh-huh. you know, and on the verge of suicide. Uh, I, can, I can ruin their attachment. I can have them detach and kind of be like a Holden Caulfield, catching uh-huh. the rye where everybody else is fake. I reject society. I don't want to attach. I don't care. Or is it going to be the community that says, we don't want you here and you are exiled. So Mm -hmm. you can be threatened on that pillar, Mm -hmm. external, internal. They all have that threat. And then mastery is, is, you know, your ability to do things and and, and solve problems and and use your skills and learn and and grow. And, And you can tell yourself that you are completely helpless and I just can't. I just can't. This problem in front of me, I just can't going and doing this thing of studying for a couple of years to change and pivot. I just can't, I am helpless. Um, and then you have people that tell you that you're, you're, you're helpless, that you don't have any skills and that you're worthless. 
Mm -hmm. um, and so you can be threatened on each of those pillars on like an external and an internal threat. And like that fascinates me because I can look at any story, any movie now that I'm watching and I can watch that character be broken down mm -hmm. or be built up yeah. and look at their, the struggle of whether it's, where is the external threat or the internal threat mm -hmm. happening within this story? Because that's life. And this is what it fascinates me about storytelling is it helps us to provide us, you know, an empathetic way to, to, to feel or to understand or to hear the different ways there are to, to this life. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I hope that I can be part of, um, of telling stories that, 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 that help to inspire or educate or, or just give language and, and understanding to, um, to, to this topic and, and, and people find a, um, something that they, they, they can hope for, for their future. That's like a mature hope where um, no matter what happens in the immediate, the small wins and failures of, of life, that they don't break you or rattle you. Those are just lessons to be learned towards that future goal, which is less of a specific place, but more of, of an orientation and direction. Because by the time you get to that specific place, the world could be different in 10 years. So for me, having a goal as a young kid to go, I want to be on Saturday Night Live. Well, in 15 years, is Saturday Night Live going to exist? Right. And what if I got myself to the place of where I was able to be on it and then the show shut down? What's my goal? What's my reason? It, right. was, it, it was too specific to a thing, especially in a world that's changing versus a direction and, and, uh, and a path. So that's, that's what I want to be part of. Uh, and I know it's just, it's a topic that fascinates me. It's something that's helped me a lot and I see how it works in stories. And I, and I just want to be part of helping to tell really, really good stories and, and stories that aren't probably aren't mine as a producer, but right. I want to be able to feel what these are and help translate them and communicate them to the other departments and help to bring it to life to the realm of, of, of magic movie. Movie magic. <laughs> so is that why you want to be a producer? So you can actually pick the stories? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's stories that you to believe. be part of that process. It, for sure. It's, it's something, I mean, I even remember as a young kid, when I, when I read the history of Saturday Night Live, um, you know, and I watched everything. Um, but I, I, I didn't go, oh, you know, um, um, I was trying to think of a, like, I wasn't like, oh, Eddie Murphy, like, I wasn't picking a, a cast member to make them my favorite. It became Lauren Michaels. Yeah. Well, he's a Canadian. He's a Canadian. But, yeah. but, you know, not the funniest guy in the room, but a guy that understands how to create the conditions for all these clown-like crazy personalities to thrive together. Yeah. Um, and I always appreciated that. Um, and and yeah, I, It's an amazing thing. That, that, that resonated with me as a young teenager. So that still kind of fascinates me today as wanting to go into producing. It's like, there's, there's a place for somebody like me who, yeah, I have performed like Lauren. I have played, but at the same time, I do find myself constantly replacing myself in projects. I'm like, you're better for this. You're better for that. I, I, I think too much in my performances. So even me, when I watch me, I go, like, He's, he's being, he's willing his thoughts right now. He's not the act. He's not the. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, so I, 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 I now think and other, though, probably as a, as a director, you're like, Hey, 
can we do a take where you're here? You know? Yeah. Where you at? You have you ever stop an actor and say, where are you? Cause you're not here. Yeah, no, no, that is not for me to say. No. <laughs> so I do, I have had a couple actors that have trusted my, uh, my opinion and, and have asked me. Yeah. But you, you do have to be very careful <laughs> with what you yeah, say. Yeah, you actor. really don't get to get that. Even the director doesn't typically do much with actors unless it's that type of director. Exactly, yeah. I mean, they have their script and they have their marks and that's in their lighting and they, they just do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. This is, this has been fun to, uh, to, uh, to talk about me, um, for so long. <laughs> yeah, it's a good time. I enjoy it. I enjoyed, and I really enjoyed getting to know you. Mm -hmm. No. And, and, uh, it, I look forward to, to seeing you on clubhouse and, and continuing to follow your journey as, uh, in, in, having conversations that are connecting people so yeah well this is this is it this is garland pepper presents ladies and gentlemen thank you for coming to the show uh, you know what to do um a first off love yourself second off love your others can't do the second without the first so take care of yourself if you're messed up it, look in these three areas look at your personal life you know yourself your uh your, your relationships and such look at your relationships with your family and your, and your loved ones. Though that's the most important, actually second most important. First most important is what's your health, mental and physical, take care of that. Then you can love everybody else in an effective way. Um, yeah, so take care of yourself. I like to say, check yourself before you wreck yourself because I stole that from somebody, I don't know who. <laughs> and uh, what else? You wanna say something to the universe in parting? love and gratitude yes and response and 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 and, and, and hold profound respect for other people yes from a small child to an old 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 person doesn't matter profound respect on the street for those we disagree with for for those that that might even treat others poorly there's there's a yeah we we need we need to ensure that we hold respect. Well, thank you very much, Will. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today, Will Robson, assistant director in Vancouver, British Columbia, an all-around raconteur, great man, and uh, look forward to seeing his name up on the screen uh, as producer and director and assistant director throughout the coming years. And I'm excited to see some of these stories coming from you, Will. Thanks, Garland. Appreciate it. All right. Have a great day. Cheers. Bye. Bye. That was excellent, Will. Thank you very much.